This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Keith Andrews, how are you, sir? Not bad at all. How's yourself? I'm pretty good. Just living life uh, COVID positive, as you know. I'm not quite certain how that translates, but that's okay. There's a bit of sarcasm there, yes. Well, you know, actually, I have contracted COVID twice already. Congratulations. I know. I feel great. I uh, beat this deadly virus, as you know. Yeah, I beat a slightly deadlier one a number of years ago. Oh, my. Yes, and Andrew, by the way, or Mr. Andrews, I was going to say, you know, it's been such a long time, my audience still remembers you, and we, we barely remember each other, but my audience still talks about you all the time. They they say, when is he going to come back? When is Mr. R. Keith Andrews returning? And I say, well, life has happened, and I know he's kind of been busy, so it's been a while, but here we are together, and it's great to, to see you here. And I, I'm sorry I don't have a webcam for you to see me, but um, you're looking good. I like the hair. I, I like what you're doing with the hair there. I like that. 
Well, I appreciate that. I, I'm just of the opinion that since I don't leave the house much and I don't have a partner that lives with me, and besides that, from my standpoint, it boils down to if I don't have to cut it, why bother paying for it? That's true. And you're enjoying some coffee for those that can't see you, which most most of you can't. Uh, but yes, you are drinking coffee. I've had my coffee already, so I'm pretty much um, ready to go. And Oddly enough, most people actually, most people on the net know me as, as Mr. as R. Keith Andrews. We'll start with the spiritual guy. Yes. That boils down to since I was 10, I've been dealing with people's complications in personal life, in, in their personal life, their intimate relationships, their businesses, and alien abductions and alien technologies. Okay, so, and the thing with, with being a spiritual guide is I'm a firm believer that every tool that I offer people, if they apply to me, I'm using them. Okay, if they don't apply to me, to date, I've got something in excess of 80,000 clients under my belt. You know, that I've dealt with 80,000 individual clients. All right, bear in mind, I'm 58 at this point. So it's been pretty steady. And with that in mind, I've taught people how to do things that I don't personally deal with. Like one of the tools I've offered people is how to quit smoking without addiction, without withdrawal. Smoking, drugs, and alcohol. Okay, but I'm a firm believer if you're going to claim you claim that you're a spiritual guide, for pity's sakes, if you're offering tools, if you're offering philosophies, live by them or use them if they apply to you. The, the reason I call it a paranormal adept yeah. is because I'm not an expert. I do not agree. People have tried telling me I'm an expert, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't know enough. But an adept to me is somebody that simply has a very wide array. So where it comes to the metaphysical field, you name the tool, I probably deal with it. The only one that I tend to avoid, the only two that I tend to avoid is I don't do tea leaf readings because I don't like tea, so I don't see the point in keeping it around. Right, and I certainly won't do palmistry over the phone. But other than that, you name the tool, I probably work with it. I had to modify both astrology and numerology because there were major flaws that I found in them. And then when I deal with the with the other side of the paranormal, which is the alien technologies and the alien races, yeah, I've actually got one reference manual already written called Races of the Worlds that details 59 races that I've personally dealt with. And I've got a volume two that I think I've got just over 40 other races added to it. Very interesting. And some of these races of, of aliens, um, I would say only a few are kind of known to, I guess you would say, the general public or the ones that we often hear about, like the greys and the exectoids and uh, some of the reptilians, which I'm kind of skeptical about, to be honest. Well, I, I would be skeptical if I hadn't had so many dealings with them. But I understand your skepticism, don't get me wrong. And of course... The problem I run into now, I, I guess I should ask this. Um, I know you can see me on video. Sure. Do you do a, is this a video podcast that you do or is it just a vocal? No, we're just doing audio. Okay. Um, yeah, I've, I've questioned it a lot and I actually spent years talking to a, to a psychiatrist trying to figure out what was going on. And if it weren't for the amount of corroboration I've had from both other other people I've talked to, and for that matter, my father, I would still be questioning whether I had lost my mind. What do you mean your father, by the way? Well, my father on his deathbed, okay, yeah, he, call, he calls me to his side and he goes, 
He goes, I have to apologize to you. I looked at him and I said, for what? Right. He says, look, your mom and I have spent our life trying to convince you that you lied that your mind had gone completely, telling you that what you remembered was was just your imagination. He says, but I have to tell you, your past life memories, your interaction with the MyLabs, with military laboratories, your metaphysical experiences, your psychic phenomenon, right? He says, your near-death experiences, your walk out of the morgue, all of it was real. Right. He says, every single one of your memories is absolutely real. I just could not tell you. Now, for obvious reasons, we cannot corroborate this with him. Sure. You know, unless, of course, you've got a medium handy. And then they'll be able to corroborate it, but then it leaves the question anyway. But that's what I mean by it was it was verified by him. Okay. He was one of the, he was responsible for my, um, for my, for recovering from my seventh my seventh? Uh, let's see. Five. I think it would have been my seventh, maybe my eighth fatal heart attack. Wow. It's a lot As of, the thing goes, I'm not hard to kill. I'm just hard to keep that way. It's a lot of heart attacks there. I was clinically dead four times before I hit ten. Jeez. Were you um choked by the umbilical cord? Nope. Not at all. Although I was born modeled green and black. Interesting. No, the, the reality, the first time I died was in the incubator. Because when they pulled me out, uh, I was, you know, people that tell you that, that birth is a wonderful experience do not recall their birth. I don't think any, anybody does. Yeah. It's probably traumatic. Oh, rest assured it is. And as far as does anybody, yeah, I do. I don't recall your birth. I recall mine. Right. I was going to say, what, what do you know? Um, did you see me being born there? Um, Keith, I had no idea. Did I see you being born? Yeah, I'm I'm joking around, though, but yes. <laughs> I'm like, where were you, Keith? I had no idea. Well, considering I don't know where you are, that would make it a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. But yes, were, were you sick as a child growing up, Keith? Uh, well, that depends. Do you call, do you call dead sick? Uh, well, not really. A natural part of life. But okay. except that, you know, it happened more times to you than, you know, a normal person, I would say. Oh, Lord, yeah. Yeah. No, um, I ended up, the second time I died... I ended up uh, coming back with epilepsy. Jeez, okay, okay. And that is still on my medical records. I'm still epileptic. Okay, the nice part was when I came back from that one, not only did they diagnose me epileptic, but they diagnosed me mentally retarded. Well, I don't think you are. Uh, well, that was what a couple of people have said, but I don't I don't know how they qualify it now. I don't I do either. know I graduated on the honor roll. Yeah, well, I don't think you would be, you know, quote-unquote retarded if, if you made the honor roll at any time in your life. Um, but by the way, just, just to add to some backstory here for the newer listeners, you actually grew up sort of near a military base, if I remember correctly. Well, you remember correctly. It wasn't exactly near it. It was right on it. Right we on it, rather. grew up in the PMQs, which oh is the, the permanent mar uh, marital quarters. Interesting. And did your father also, was he also an experiencer like yourself? Well, that depends on who you ask, and I'm not about to to pass much of that along. No, no problem, no problem. Yeah, I, I made it a rule a long time ago that I will certainly talk about what I've been through, but what other people have been through, another issue altogether. Right. Understood. Understood. It's just interesting that there's this weird sort of um, this sort of weird pattern you see with, of course, father, son, mother, all being. You know, those that have been contactees or the latter. Oh, absolutely. You've got your abductees, your contactees. Right. 
you know, the whole nine yards. I mean, it stands to reason, given that he did quant, that he did clarify yeah. that all of my experiences were legit. And all of my memories were real. Right. It does stand to reason that he that he had some sort of inside knowledge to it. Yeah, he's definitely in tune if, if your father did say that to you. And that makes me also think, what about mom? Was she on board with any of this or anything of that nature without giving too much? Yeah. And mom as well has passed away, which makes it interesting. But she, um, she did tell me okay. quite literally the same day that dad came forth with that. She told, she came to me and she goes, do you under, do you know why I believe you? I was talking to her about some of the abductions I've been through. Mm -hmm. And she goes, you know why I believe what you're telling me? And I looked at her and, and I'm thinking to myself, mom, you've been telling me I've been nuts my entire life. No, I don't know why you would believe me, but I just left it at no. And she goes, because even when your dad and I tried to coerce you into changing your story, you refused to change even one word of it, right? She says, that's how I know what you're talking about, that it's real. You know, of course, three weeks later, she did come back out and tell me I needed serious psychiatric help. So, <laughs> you know, you figure it out. That's another story. What about other family members, Keith? I know of, I, I know of suspected is the best way I will, I will put it. But like I said, and the the issue of bloodline of bloodline phenomenon is a pertinent concern, but you would literally have to talk to them to figure it out. And no, I'm not giving you the names. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't work for the CIA. Oh, that's okay. They showed up on my doorstep once already. They know where I am. Oh my! So you've had a knock at your door already? Oh heavens, yeah. I mean, it was funny because they showed up on my doorstep in Kelowna, in Canada, here up in BC. Now, bear in mind, the CIA, from what I understood, is only relegated to the states. Right. Yet they showed up on my doorstep looking for me by name regarding the information I had on the UFOs. That's pretty troublesome there. Well, it was troublesome for them. I was not, I had no problem with it. I mean, yeah, they had to make a long trip just to talk to you. Well, that was my thought. I mean, it, you know, it probably would have been easier to phone, except for the fact I don't answer the phone if I don't know the number. Well, right. That's probably another issue. <laughs> yes. And uh, Keith, by the way, I don't mean to sort of sidetrack us here or, or anything, but I definitely wanted to get your opinion on COVID-19 and what's been going on, you know, the past almost two years now, it seems. Just about. Well, now, understand, I'm not a medical researcher to start with. Sure. And my my opinion on what the situation is for me personally is one thing. Okay. As far as the issue of this neat little, what I call a rumor, that they built it, okay, I will flat out, I don't care who said they built it, who took credit for it or what have you, that doesn't matter. From my understanding, the clear cutting of the, of the rainforest and the fracturing of the Earth's core, mm -hmm. of the Earth's crust, is what released the virus, which is from back, from my understanding, from about the Pleistocene era. Now... They did try, people did try and, and weaponize it, is where the problem came in. Mankind in more than one country, by the way. Now, we already know that China, everybody pinned, pointed the finger at China. Right, okay, right. said they're responsible. I, I understand that. But the reality, from my standpoint, is they weren't the only ones that were working on it. Absolutely, yeah. I'm with they you on that. They should have to be the only ones that it got out on it. Yes, I, I think I think uh, obviously the U.S. and probably a few other countries had a hand in it too. Ultimately, ultimately, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, do understand? I don't watch the news, so the information I get is like I tell people: I'm not what you would call a researcher. I simply live my life. I experience what I do. That's where I get my information from. 
Yeah, you never got any any kind of download about um, COVID or anything from those from above. Well, they weren't responsible for it. Let's sure, start sure. Yes, I know they weren't responsible, but they didn't have any sort of, you know, any opinions or anything. Oh, they're waiting to see whether or not mankind gets its act together and figures out that there's an easy way to beat it. But ironically, it isn't medication. What is it? Now, don't, you know, mankind is trying to build a medication to beat Mother Nature. Right. Good luck with that. Yes, good luck with that. I agree with you. And as I told you earlier, Keith, in the beginning of this interview, I, I contracted COVID twice. And, uh, you know, the first time it was, you know, it was kind of bad. Not not too bad, though. I didn't go to the hospital or anything because I'm, I guess, fairly healthy. And I guess my genetic makeup was just not sort of uh, enough to be hindered by by the virus completely. So I was able to get over it. And then, you know, later on, I contracted it again, except this time it only lasted like a day. So I think I think that's a good sign for natural immunity for certain individuals, not everyone, though. I, I got to spin this around backwards on you and go, I understand you got it the first time. The second time you got it, had you already been vaccinated? No, I'm unvaccinated. Okay. Yes, I, I'm not. Again, I'm not someone who is completely anti all these things. But when it comes to this sort of um, vaccine now that we have, uh, I, I, I just don't think I should be taking something that, you know, I've already tested. Po- I didn't, well, I didn't test for it, but I already know I have it. So it's kind of, um, kind of strange. Why, why would I want the vaccine if I already have the natural antibodies? Well, this is the funny thing. I mean, for me personally, I mean, understand aside from right. one me, well, that gets us really sidetracked, but the That's answer okay. to your question is the biggest problem the the it's a marketing thing thing i take every statistic literally that i see and i throw every single t- statistic out doesn't matter whether it's for covid in all fairness right okay. okay and the reason for it is this okay and don't take my word for it check your own facts okay this is something i keep telling people i'm not a per- uh, the best authority but i will tell you when i'm talking about something don't take my word do your own research but think of this Number one, in the last two years, I hear very little of people dying of anything except COVID. Right. You don't even hear people dying of old age. That's true, yes. I think that's fantastic. If the World Medical Society has cured death by old age, they've done a phenomenal job. They did a great job, yeah. You know, I mean, I wasn't looking forward to trying that one out yet anyway. Yeah, I don't think we need you to check out anytime soon there, Keith. I've already done that enough times, and rest that's assured, true. that's a whole different door. The other thing about statistics is take a look at the TV and look at one specific commercial. Four out of five dentists recommend Crest toothpaste. Now, that sounds fantastic. That sounds like 80% of the dentists are recommending Crest toothpaste, which makes it sound like a really good toothpaste, until you look at it and find that they actually asked 100, 100 people before they found those four. At which point you're down to 4%, okay, because they take a sample group for any statistical relevance. They take a sample group and go, in our sample group, this is what we found. Well, if you handpick your sample group, doing that, I can prove unequivocally that 100% of the time when you flip a coin, you can get it to land on its edge. Okay. Now, it may take you 300,000 or a million flips to find that one, but if you take the sample group that wraps around that one, you can call it anything you will. So I take the statistics and throw them out. You know, I do look at the reality that most people's immune system is nothing compared to what mine is. Okay. So, I mean, even with this whole COVID thing going on, 
I have not had an illness. I've had one stroke and one and one really nasty heart attack in the last 25 years. That's it. I haven't had a cold, a flu, nothing. Wild. No flu, nothing. Nothing. Interesting. When I had my heart attack a, a number of years ago, or not my heart attack, when I had the stroke. Yeah. Right. The doctor asked me, she goes, when was the last time you were sick? I said, I don't know, five years ago I had a heart attack. And she goes, well, what about the cold or the or the, or the flu? I said, I can't be bothered with those. <laughs> Interesting. It can't be bothered. I says, well, they're annoying. Absolutely. You know, I don't even suffer from allergies. That's very interesting. Hmm. I wonder if that has anything anything to do with uh, any sort of uh, abduction you might have had in the past, any um, sort of medical experiment. That's debatable. I do know that I came into this world knowing how to manipulate my biomagnetic flux. That sounded like Swahili. I realize that. Basically, it's the way it's the energy your body runs off. Right. Okay. Now you can't see it, but well, actually, you can. This, I can this see block it. here that I'm, that I'm showing you? Yes. That's the length of a scar. Oh. Okay, I snapped my arm uh, back in on, what was it, March 4th of, uh, March 3rd of 04. Okay, I snapped it so bad they had to bolt it. And what were you doing? What happened? Well, literally, my bad leg gave and I missed my grip. And I oh. hit the back of the couch and snapped the arm. Damn, that bad, huh? That bad. Wow. Was, according to the doc, it was a one in a million shot. But I broke it at 7 o'clock in the morning on March 3rd. I was in the hospital in another city because I wouldn't go to the one in mine. Right. And they they had it repaired by 7 o'clock that night. Well, on the 12th of March, when I went back to the hospital to get the bandage from the operation changed, I'd already healed the bone. And what did the doctor tell you? Well, he told me I didn't break it on the 3rd. We got into a bit of an argument, and I told him to look at his paperwork. I was there. Right. And he looked at it, he goes, well, this is impossible. He says, I can't even cast this. He goes, well, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, a brace would be nice, because I'll tell you, it still hurts like a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Did they at least uh, give you anything for your arm? They, well, they pumped anesthetic into me long enough to bolt it in place, and they did build a brace around it. Somewhere along the line, I lost the brace. I see. Okay. Right. But it was never cast, because I healed the bone too fast. Yeah, the doctor must have been um must have been dumbfounded by that, Keith. Well, he was dumbfounded when I woke up and got out of bed as the, with the door to the recovery room still still swinging. Yeah, well, for anyone, the doctor must have freaked out on you, amongst other things. <laughs> and then, of course, when I went to leave, the yes. surgeon at the front desk asked, "I asked him if I could get some some gravel, right?" He says, "Well, he says, are you throwing up or just queasy?" I said, "No, I'm just queasy." So he said, let me check your chart just to make sure that your gravel shouldn't be a problem. But he said, let me just check your chart. And he looks at me and he goes, you're on three full shots of morphine? I says, yeah. He says, three, and you're just queasy. I says, yeah, but the doctor said I could go. He says, on one, you should have been on your back babbling at the ceiling. I says, yeah, but I figured I thought about that and figured they wouldn't let me out. You know, like I said, I, I don't get ill. I'm immune to just about everything. That's crazy. It's possible it has something to do with the abductions. Quite possible. It might Can be. Can I prove it? No. And am I about to go to a doctor and try any more of this, of this lab rat thing? No, I did that already. Yeah, I don't think you should go to any doctor right now. Um, in case you get, in case you do get sick at, at being at a, at a hospital facility right now, you never know. 
Well, that's just it. I see. I've got a problem with the hospital anyway. I suffer from PTSD triggered by the hospital. Oh, really? We found that out the hard way when they had a heart attack. <laughs> oh my! So I said, well, and then of course, because my teeth need repair, the doctor and the doctor wanted to put me into the hospital to get them worked on. But she goes, I've got to get you into the hospital and get your blood pressure and your pulse checked first. I looked at her and I says, I suffer from PTSD triggered by the hospital. I set foot on the property and my blood pressure goes through the roof. I says, it ain't going to happen. So I've been repairing the teeth on my own. Now, have I repaired the the uh, enamel and what have you? No, but I have wiped out the the infections that were in it. Very nice. I'm wondering where exactly this sort of um, PTSD stems from. It can't just be solely on the hospital. It, is that oh, no. stemming from maybe an abduction you've had? Uh, how, how about let's try this one? 197 of my friends getting murdered in front of me in a military laboratory. Well, that's a different story altogether, yes. That is where the PTSD triggered. I see. So that's where it stems from. Uh, part of yeah. these, uh, part of a my lab sort of experience that you had, and then a subsequent rescue by the Srazosians. You know the reptilians that you question. Yes. Yeah, I have a hard time questioning them, but I can't understand why you question them. People keep well, lumping them all together, going the reptilians are doing this. Well, you you keep hearing so much about reptilians, but you know I don't often hear too many stories about the. Reptilians doing anything good, you know, you, you just hear things of that nature, and I just figured, well, how how probable is that for sure? Well, the, the best I can tell you, I can tell you why so many people are afraid of the reptilians. Yeah. Late 70s, early 1980s, there was a neat little miniseries and a TV series that came on called V. I remember, yes. That series focused on reptilians infiltrating the government yeah. and trying to take over the world by screwing up our political system. Okay. Now, the reality behind it is this. Are the reptilians, from my standpoint, yeah, and you don't have to take my word for it. Okay, but that I can think of right off the top of my head, I can think of at least a dozen reptilian-like races. I call them reptilian because that's what they look like. Okay, but I can think of a dozen different ones, and they do not all get along. And the reality is people keep going, you know, we're worried about being invaded. If any one of the off-world races, or the ancient races for that matter, were to decide they were actually going to invade Earth, the fight would be over before mankind even knew it started. I was going to say, isn't it too late though, Keith? Hasn't, haven't, uh, rather, haven't intelligent beings from, like, let's say other star systems, they've been visiting Earth and already are here, I would have to suspect. Absolutely there are. And all before anybody comes up with the idea of, you know, can you tell me where they're located? Well, technically, the answer is yes, I could. I'm just not going to. Fair enough. Um, you know, yeah. we've been seeing lots of sightings, lots of videos online, lots of um, videos released by the military. Oh, I don't bother with those. I just go with the fact I keep getting taken. Sure, but I was just going to quickly say, what do you make of um, this sort of soft disclosure that the government has uh, made so far? Well, it's about time they started admitting it, but... You know, the fact that people are waiting for them to come forward and say, yes, we've been in contact, we've got contracts with them, etc. Um, it, it fascinates me to find so many people are willing, are waiting for the, for governments from any country to come out and say, yes, it's really going on. When, let's face it, they have misled people on just about every other policy on the planet. Absolutely. Right. So why trust them now? But, you know, even if you only take 0.1% of the recorded, of the reported, recorded, reported sightings 
as being legitimately unidentified, as in they they may well be alien. Oh, okay, even if you only take that, that's a staggering amount of of eyewitnesses. And I like the way somebody put it for me one day. You know, for those that believe that do not believe that it that this is going on, you know, for for those that believe that aliens are here and that abductions are taking place, no proof is required. For those that do not believe, no roof and no proof is likely possible. Okay, the other one that goes hand in hand with that is lack of proof of existence is not proof of non-existence. I agree with you. You know, this is what so many people are overlooking. But are there already various different races on the planet? Absolutely. I was talking to somebody the other day that the description they gave, they talked to a lot of different people, and they couldn't get an answer from anybody. So they contacted me and laid a situation, laid a, a, an encounter out. And I took one look at it and went, this is what you're dealing with. And they went, how can that sound so con so just common sense to you? I says, well... You see enough of them, and you really don't question what they are. Yeah, you've gone through it before, multiple times, so you would know. You know, I just find it, I find it fascinating, the number of people that I've spoken to that say, I'm in constant contact with these things, and yet they don't recognize them when they see them. Absolutely. And, um, Keith, do you recall the last time you were visited at all? Um, roughly speaking, that'd be about, a, actually, it's been slowing down a little lately, um, but then I've been a little preoccupied. I guess um, probably about a month ago was the most obvious one for me. Um, I had gone, I'd gotten off shift. I'd worked until until late Friday night, and my son who lives with me yeah. was out for, was up in the living room, and I got off shift. I said, "I'm just taking the garbage out. I'll be back in." And he asked me, he goes, "Can I stay up till you get back in?" I says, "Yeah, absolutely." Well, I come in, the lights are all off. I didn't think to check the to to check the time. But I came in, the lights were all off, and he'd gone to bed. So the next morning when I got up, I usually get up at like 4 o'clock in the morning anyway. But I got up, and he come flying out of the bedroom at about 5.30, and he wraps his arms around me and goes, Dad, you came back. I says, well, yeah, I came back. I just went to take the garbage out. He goes, Dad, I stayed up until 2 o'clock in the morning waiting for you. I just oh couldn't my. stay up that long any longer. Wow, he says, I see. Were you taken? I says, yeah. He goes, and he says, I've been telling you that for years. He goes, yeah, but Dad, I didn't believe you. And now he believes for for sure. Oh, about about two weeks later, <laughs> we were we were there. We had company over, and I just stopped cold and I walked outside and I looked up in the in the sky. And my son followed me out and he goes, "What you looking at?" So I pointed out and he goes, "You're getting taken again tonight, aren't you?" <laughs> you <know? laughs> so Keith, this only happened. Well, does this only happen at nighttime? Or has it happened during no, the day? I've, I've had, it happens mostly at night. Okay, okay. And and what exactly can you um sort of detail that sort of experience for you? Are you laying down? Are you like almost going to go to sleep? What, what What's going on? I need you to paint a picture for the newer listeners. Considering the number of different ways, normally I'm, you know, normally I'm just relaxing. I may be sitting down. I may be laying down. It depends. Okay. You know, it really depends on the day. But I mean, for me, it happens twice or three times a week. But normally I'm I'm down. They they show up and it's just a case of you end up up on their ship. They don't actually bring the ship down into the parking lot here, you know. But there is a a matter relocator that they use in Star Trek. You'd call it a transporter. Sure. Okay. And they just ship me topside because I don't just deal with them on on behalf of humans, but they bring me up there to help consult with them on getting their own the other races to get along. 
I see. I see. So they sort of um, materialize in your room, in other words. Or just yank me out of the room altogether. I was going to say, they, or they could just like pull you out. Yeah, they 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 do both. And the answer to the other question it usually goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. We're not talking just an astral yank. We are talking about physical. Physical, absolutely. Okay. And we know this because of the number of times I've suffered from a potassium crash, which astronauts suffer from every time they spend an extended period of time in outer space. Ah, uh, okay, yes. From, an, from a um, potassium crash. So there's some health, there's a, there's a, some minor health issues that occur when they sort of take you that way, in other words. Oh, yeah. The fact that you're all of a sudden off, off planet. Under different gravitational fields, under different um, solar fields. That's a lot of stress. Fields. Yeah, lots of stress. There is. And, it, you know, for me, the fact that I treat nobody any differently, no matter what their race, their, you know, their nationality, it just doesn't matter to me. I don't see a difference in people. I hear you. You know, I mean, obviously I can tell the difference between people, but it's mm -hmm. never made any, any impact for me. Right. And, and you know. And Keith, I was just going to quickly add, for those that are probably wondering at home, um, why would they take anyone for that matter? Is it just for medical experiments or is it for something greater? Oh, there are so many different variables there, depending on the race, mm -hmm. like depending on the race responsible. The greys primarily are collecting people and usually the greys will collect people with Nords in, with Nords on board. And the reason for that, they do it for the hybridization program. In brief, the hybridization program is a program where they combine different races so that they can grow and they can raise cultural interpreters. You see, you know what a, you've heard of a universal translator, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, those work great for punching in words and getting words to come out of the different language. They're not infallible by any means. But the, the thing is, they do nothing for, for cultural context. Now, we already know, at least I hope we do, um, that culture, cultural comprehension is in people's DNA. So what the greys, the, the greys from Zeta Reticuli did was they, they perfected the hybridization program to combine more than one race, okay, to create hybrids. The reason being, by growing and by creating a hybrid, they now have the cultural understanding inherently built in from two different races. Okay. And by doing that, now when you, when they try to teach people how to communicate, see, if I take this, if I take my coffee cup and I, and I hand it to you and I go, coffee, what am I telling you? Well, you're asking me if I want a drink. Yes. But what if I say, what if I say eight and hand it to you? Well, I'd still know. Not necessarily. And here's why I say that. Whatever they said, did it mean coffee cup? Did it mean the coffee as in the liquid inside? Did it mean be careful it's hot? Ah. What they, were they talking the color of the cup? I get you. Or were they threatening you? Well, yeah, we would never know exactly. Exactly. Gene Roddenberry said it best when he said the biggest problem with running into races off, you know, running into alien races. Yeah. Is mankind would have no cultural comprehension of what they were doing. Yeah, we wouldn't right. know how to interpret. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. That's true, I mean, though. here's another another obvious example. If somebody points a gun at you and you put your hands up, which is a normal sign for humans across the world to say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm surrendering, right? That's a great thing until you realize that there is one race in particular that I know of, that if they put their hands up, you may think they're surrendering if you look at human culture. 
what they're actually doing is telling you they're about to kill you. Yeah, I would suspect that for sure. You know, so I mean, as far as so they take them for cultural and for for the hybridization program, some races take them. Well, quite frankly, the tech like take them periodically because the tech like like the flavor. Are these would would these be the tall grays or just the normal sort of smaller gray aliens? Did you watch? Did you ever see the original Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Yeah, great movie for sure. Yeah, it was. You remember the scene right at the end where it showed the little grays and the tall grays? Yes, sir. The little grays are your scientists. Ah, They're the ones okay. that do all the research. I see. The tall grays are the controllers. They're the ones that run the place and dictate who does what. Okay, but it's an entire culture. And before anybody jumps on that one, no, they are not clones. They are not dying. They're in about as much in danger of dying as what the North Pole is of losing all of its ice. Of its ice. You know, it's just not happening. Yeah, you often hear about the uh, tall grays, by the way, as you already clarified for us, um, that they're not like clones or sort of, well, they are living, living organisms. They're not like this sort of AI sort of thing that they, that the smaller scientists created, in other words. Bingo. Mm -hmm. They are a natural flesh and blood. Yes. And, you know, the, the funny part about it is they're not, if you ever go to Zeta Reticuli, the, um, the grays are not the ones you gotta worry about. Okay, they're just the the dominant surface dwelling technologically advanced race. The ones you got to worry about are the plants on that place, because those things will kill you. And what are those like? Just if you eat them. And what 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 are those like, by the way, Keith? For those that don't know. For those that don't know, they are mobile and carnivorous. That doesn't sound too good. Yeah, you know, the trees will quite literally beat you to death. The trees will. Yeah, the trees will. I know, they'll suck you, or they'll bleed. They'll bleed you dry. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a good place to be. Well, not if you're planning on living. I mean, I wouldn't go camping there. <laughs> you know? Definitely. I wouldn't want to go camping there either. And uh, for those that don't know, you're way up there in the um, in Canada, where I like to well, call Canada. Yes, I don't know about the way up. I'm about uh, three hours away from the from the Washington border. Okay, then you're not way up there in the Great White North, as they like to call it. They call it the Great White North, but that's about 3,000 miles north of me. Yeah, don't go up there, Keith. Yeah, it's better you stay lower down here. I don't like the ice. Yeah. You know, yes. I mean, from my standpoint, I, I get a kick out of it. But yeah, I'm up in Canada, and the reality of it is that, you know, if you think about it, we're actually further south than New York is. That's true. You're basically, yeah, an, yeah you're basically an American at this point, Keith. Uh, no, but that's that's one of those funny little issues. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but yes, Keith. Um. It's pretty wild that you've had all these experiences. So many people have had these experiences as well. And of course that helped that. Well, it doesn't help them, but it sort of prevents them from, you know, sort of figuring all these things out. And of course, later on in life as adults, you know, they start getting all these sort of, um, flashbacks, you know, all these strange memories that don't make sense. Uh, probably some experiences they had in the past. And that is exactly where a lot of the problem is because you get these flashbacks when you were a kid and you're trying to interpret what you went through. And sadly, even in the UFO community, many times you approach somebody that is in that community and you go, I think I've been abducted. Mm. More often than not, the sad reality is I see people brushing it aside and go, no, you're just, you're just looking for attention. I rest see. assured. Yeah. As an abductee, the last thing you want is more attention. Absolutely. And of course, you, you've heard all the stories of abduction cases, I'm quite sure, of people that made you know, the, the rounds and the, and the talk circuit sort of, uh, market 
you know, all the conferences rather is what I'm trying to say. And I've been in a few of them. Yeah, you've been on a few of them. So you definitely know. I'm sure there's a few stories in there that you yourself personally don't exactly buy, but we're not we're not outing anyone here. But I'm sure there are a few people like that. Um, would you agree or disagree? Oh, I absolutely agree. I've actually had a I've actually confronted a couple of them. Did you really? Because the information they're using doesn't add up to the information they're using. You know, that's that's the biggest problem. You know, in other words, what the story they're telling is not internally consistent. I see. You know, of course, I get asked the the question of, you know, one one person asked me on on the radio one day why they should believe me, and I did not answer it in a polite fashion. I mean, <laughs> I didn't swear at them, but it was yeah. not politically correct by any stretch. So they they just called up and said, "Well, why should we believe you, Keith? What why what makes you special?" Is that what they said? That was in other words, what they said, yeah. Now, thankfully, this was on Spaced Out Radio, and thankfully, Dave Scott, the the um the host of it. He corrected, he smoothed it over real quick because my immediate response, because of the way the question came out, oh, I didn't even think about the response. I just went, well, what makes you think I care whether you believe me? <laughs> well, that's, that's quite apropos in my opinion. You know, I mean, the reality of it is because I'm also a science fiction, science fantasy author, people have asked me, well, you know, isn't this just an overactive imagination? Sure. I'm sure people definitely, they they say that to you. They say, well, maybe you have an overactive imagination. Maybe you bumped your head a bunch of times. And these are just sort of um, false memories that were already planted there. And they're not from any sort of alien abduction. It's just from trauma. And your this is how your body's uh, sort of a defense mechanism has been kicked into play. You know, you hear answers like that, too. Oh, yeah. I get that all the time. Right. And like I tell people, if I hadn't got the amount of corroboration from other people, right, like mm -hmm. when I went out and spoke at Experience or Speak way back in 2014, right, we had, I talked to a lot of people, they said that they, that they had dealt with these things all the time. We had a hybrid show up on, on site. Really? Right. And his reaction to my question was absolutely priceless because normally, you know, like, he was pointing out to me, and of course, as you can tell, since I'm wearing glasses, right, my eyes don't work as well as I'd like at a distance. So he was pointed out to me, and I just walked over to him, because when he was pointed out, it's like, what's with the guy with the blue skin? So we got it straightened out as to who it was, and I walked over to him, and I walked up, and I literally looked at him, and I went, you know, excuse me, but are you by any chance Pleiadian? Hmm. And stops cold, and he looks at me, and he goes, yes. And I'm like, so I, I shifted gears right away and welcomed him to Earth. But the thing, that, the, the two things that caught my attention when I shook his hand, because people have said, well, if he was blue-skinned, you know, it, it's this silver, silver uh, what the heck is it called? Oh, I know what you mean, yeah, the health product, yes. Yeah, that does turn people's skin blue. It right. does. But this guy, his pigmentation, you remember the old back in the, I don't know how old you are in all fairness, but do you remember in the late 70s, early 80s, he had those little oil-filled stickers? Um, that, that's a little predating me, but yes, I do know. I do okay. know about those stickers, thanks to my father, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, with those stickers that you can push on them, the, the oil moves around. When I grabbed hold of this guy's hand to shake his hand, the pigmentation on his hand moved. Now, that's kind of weird. Now that cannot be done by any sort of of medication on Earth. Pigmentation just doesn't shift gears. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
so it's things like that that I look at. That, of course, when I when I mention to him, I talk to other people about something called a Martokian, which, by the way, comes from Mars. Martokian, okay. Yeah, they and, you know Martian. You know what people call Martians are green. They're just not short. Like they stand, you know, five and a half, six feet tall. Mm-hmm. They are green though. But I've talked to them, people about them before. I mentioned most people I talk to. It's like it's like what the heck is a Martokian? Well, when I met this chap, I says, oh, well, since you're here, you might be interested in knowing the Martokians have already made contact here. And the guy got really, really excited, not in a bad way. But it's like, what was he doing here? Why why was he here? What was he looking for? Right. I mean, there was clear recognition. He knew who this is, what this race was. Right. And, you know, for me, that was just another corroboration of here's an here's an event where somebody else has. You know, somebody else can corroborate it, as it were. Of course, good luck finding him at this point. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for to, at this point to find that person. Um, but yes, going back to the conference really, really quickly. So you spent time talking to this individual, and did you keep an eye on him when he left? Oh yeah, I spent time talking to him. Right, and when he left, understand the conference was inside the hotel. Yeah. So he had to leave the conference room, cross the lobby of the hotel. And then exit the door if you were leaving the building. Well, he left the conference room itself, got halfway across the lobby, and I physically watched him dematerialize. Ooh. Right. Now, when I started talking to the other guests that had been at the, that were at that same event, I found one that said that they had seen them materialize the same way, just obviously in reverse. They didn't walk into the building through the front door. They materialized in the lobby. And that must have been um, very strange to sort of um, bring up uh, to anyone, really, I'm sure. Well, it, it was funny from my end because this had all gone on and I saw it happen, but I didn't bother telling anybody about it, saying much about it. Right. And the next morning, everybody's down and we're all milling about and people are talking to each other. Did you see the blue guy last night? Yeah. Talked to him. Got a picture of him. Right. It's like, you got a picture of him? But yeah, I just asked. Of course, he told me not to show it to anybody. Hmm. And it was it was more than a year later when I ran into him again to get permission to show it to him. And was he cool with that? Yeah, he just told me when when I first took the picture, he had no problem with my with my um with my taking the picture. But he had a he he didn't say I couldn't show people. He said I couldn't pass it on. I couldn't you know post it anywhere. I see. Okay, or make copies of it or anything, and. So I just gave him my word I wouldn't. And I got flagged for it for a good year, right, about why won't you, you know, the, the picture is just fake. No, well, you yeah. Know, you're just making it you're up. You're making it up. He's lying. You don't have a photo. Yeah. So well, you I got heard... called a liar on more occasions, more occasions than I care to count. Yeah, so that's what you heard for, oh, like, about a year straight, right? Yeah, until I finally released the picture. So you did release this photo. I did, but it was a year later when I ran into him again and got his permission. Until then, I just told people, you can think what you want. I hear you. I hear you. And, um, yes, um, those sort of, those sort of sightings are, are pretty priceless. You know, no one, well, most people will never sort of see that ever again. I, I would have to say, especially now in, in today's world, conferences are sort of a thing of the past. For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a- am I willing to go to a conference? Well, that's going to depend on what happens with the whole health situation. Yeah, everyone's scared to leave their house still. Actually, I for me, COVID worked out really nicely. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was just about to ask you, has it all worked out for you, though, and, or being over it's there in Canada? fabulous for me. 
Mm-hmm. Understand, 10 years before COVID hit, I was already reclusive. Yeah, you were already uh, handling this. So, you know, not much of a lifestyle change, I'd say, right? No, they, you know, the thing was, people would say, let's go out and do such and such. And I'm like, I don't want to go out and deal with people today. Thanks very much. You go and enjoy yourself. COVID comes along and they say, stay home, stay away from people and drink warm liquid. <laughs> yes. And I'm thinking, I'm reclusive. I don't go anywhere. And I've got a 30 cup urn at home. I'm good. Hey, you're good to go. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, with this new passport thing, I don't travel, right? Yeah, all it's done for me is gave me a real good reason not to go to a not restaurant to, where yeah. I'm spending way too much money. Yeah. Well, it worked out beautifully for my end. Exactly. Well, not for everyone, you know. Spending too much money anyway. Yeah, there's some people, though, that, you know, they've made a lifestyle of going out to eat every day. You know, those folks like in New York, you know, it was really bad for them at first. Are and- you talking to one of them? Yes. Well, you I know, I don't like cooking, so I was going out to a restaurant pretty much every, every night. day. Yeah, that's how it was for lots of folks out there. So it's a bit of a, a shock to the system for some of these folks. Uh, even two years down the road, people were still very um, unhappy with all the changes. I guess that was par for the course. See, it's comical. I, I saw a post the other day about that. You know, it's a terrible thing what's going on. Don't get me wrong. The illness, I've never said it wasn't real. I hear you. Yeah, I know. Okay. But there have been some benefits to this whole thing. You know, okay, you can't travel as far, so maybe you'll go by car and find out about the neighborhood around you or about the country close to you. Yes. So you don't, you won't go to the to a restaurant or a movie or the bar all the time now. So maybe you'll stay at home and maybe you'll sit down with your family and watch a movie. And because of the restrictions on the bigger grocery chains, maybe you won't be supporting the bigger chains. You'll go to the smaller grocery stores. That's a great point. Right. This can be a real benefit all the way across the board. It really can be. Um, if you play your cards right and actually use your time uh, effectively, especially during, you know, the lockdowns and all that, there are lots of people that weren't, you know, doing anything that didn't really have much to do. Um, you know, fortunately for me and you, we don't really have that issue. We have plenty to do and, you know, we could do it at home, but not yeah, everyone has that luxury. I'm currently in the process of writing 32 books at the same time. How are you able to write 32 books at the same time? That must be, um, that's madness, uh, Keith. No, I, it, the funny thing is 17 of them are all tied to the same series. Oh, okay. I see. So you kind of have a basis for what you're writing, in other words. Um, well, let me put it this way. I've got one poet, I'm working on one poetry, a poetic anthology. I've got, one children's book already in print and the sequel I've got ready to go to print. I just haven't gotten around to it. I've got two self-help books in print, one um, one reference manual, and one novel. The novel, we, the sequel to the novel should be out later this fall, as well as hopefully the second volume of the reference manual. And uh, Keith, by the way, where, where can people find your work? If those, That's you know, the easy part. Okay, where did they go? Right now, if you if you look up Inner Voice Enterprises, on on YouTube, you'll find under every one of my videos, okay, and the 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 key factor for the videos is is it's called the journey. At the bottom of every one of them, there's a whole list of contact points below it, where where you can get a hold of me. There's also a list of different books that I've already got in publication that can be ordered directly through me. This one here is the novel, and that is available on Amazon. I like that. Nice That's cover and everything there. The land, the, the birth of the wolf pack. I like it. But this particular book, I've already I've got a contract with Author House, and they put it on AuthorHouse.com, Amazon, and Barnes and Noble. Very nice, very nice. Well, that's where you can books. find his work. 
at least you know, the big difference. This is the one that you get from me. You know, if it if it's ordered directly from me, the problem with it is because of the cost of shipping, it's a pain in the neck. This one is the one that Amazon puts out or that Authorhouse puts out. It's a it's a slightly smaller print, slightly smaller dimensions, right? But the funny part about it is, and you can get those easy. This one is the one that you get from me. This one, the one I that I produce here, is color and sign. The one you get from Amazon for some bizarre reason, or from Author House, they don't you, have won't, it. you don't get it signed because, well, frankly, I never see the thing. Interesting. Yeah, so there, there you have it, folks. That is where you can find Mr. Keith Andrews' work. And I just saw a bit of a, a an orb fly by your head there in the video. That's not entirely surprising. I've got a resident here that has a tendency of moving my stuff around. Well, that was pretty interesting. You know, I didn't expect to see that right now, but it clearly floated over your head. I wish I could have shared that with the audience. But yeah, there there was a strange object that moved just right over your head rather quickly there, uh, Keith. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I just I just ignore them at this point. Yeah, <laughs> that was interesting. Um, you know, we weren't really talking about the paranormal aspect here, but um, I guess I'll ask you about that in a moment here. But um, as a spiritual guide, Keith, all kinds of people come up to you and are a lot of them, you know, um, contactees per se. Um, my, there's a lot that are, but unless they actually ask me about it, I won't bring it to their attention. Okay, I see. Okay. Like, I don't volunteer. I don't mm -hmm. come out and say, oh, by the way, did you realize you've been abducted? Yeah, you don't just straight off, straight up just yeah. say that to them, yeah. I, I've seen people do that. There's one person that I used to catch periodically before I lie, before I got rid of my cable mm -hmm. that did a show where she would walk down the street and she'd come right out and tell people about, about past one, past loved ones that were around. And I just flat out refused to do it. I see, I see it all the time. But no, there are a staggering number of people that have been through it. And I get a fair chunk that'll go, look, you know, I don't know how to deal with this. This has been happening for this long. And nobody seems to be able to explain it. I had one the other day that approached me because she talked to a lot of different people that worked in the field and nobody could tell her what was going on. So I asked her a couple of questions about the about the entity she'd been dealing with. She answered the questions and, went, and I went, well, here's what you're dealing with. And she goes, you make that sound like it's just common knowledge. I said, well, you see enough of them and it basically is. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you've been around it so for so long, uh, Keith, so... You know, you would have some sort of insight on these sort of strange phenomena that that occurs at times for people. Yeah, I mean, but you get a lot of people that have missing time. They've got, you know, strange, strange marks on their body that they can't identify or medical things that all of a sudden stop to be a stop being a problem. Right. And that side doesn't happen as often as you might think. Yes, I would have now, to imagine. You know, they don't actually, you know, the off-worlders don't come in and just run and just pick people out and go, I'm just going to heal people. Because the reality is they're not, they're not actually supposed to do that. Mankind has to learn to work together. Yeah, I'm with you, you know, on that. And in some abduction cases, sometimes they don't return. Absolutely. I can think of a couple, like, when people tell me, oh, I really want to have an abduction. I don't care by who. I just want to have the experience. And I'm thinking you might want to be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Because there are some races, the tech like being an, an interesting group, and you might have seen, you actually yourself, if you spent any time searching the net, you may have seen a video of an actual pair of tech like Interesting. Tech-like are raptor-like raptor -like reptilians, about three and a half feet tall. They're about five feet from nose to tail. Right. 
somebody caught a picture, I caught a video of one in the New York subway, in the New York sewer system. Really? Right. And the thing with the tech lags, you don't want to be, if they ever invite you to dinner, turn them down cold. Because they're not inviting you to have a meal with them. You're the main course. Yeah, that does not sound um, very welcoming there, Keith. That definitely don't invite them to well, dinner, or go with them, rather. And they'll, they'll be very welcoming. <laughs> yes. They may even give you all kinds of drink, you know, if they're trying to flavor their food, but, <laughs> you know. They might try to drug you. Oh, no, they don't like the poisons. Oh, they don't like I'll the poison. They don't mind, but they won't. They won't drug you. I mean, and there is there is one race I know of. I'm in the middle of documenting it. That literally feeds on the fear. So they're not about to die and to, and to drug you. I hear you. I hear you. And um, Keith, you know, I had a weird experience myself uh, many, many moons ago. Um, you know, where I even said, if you know, if I don't experience something um, soon during this uh, sort of conference or event that I'm uh, headed to, towards. Um, then I'm completely done um, with talking about all these sort of um, fringe topics. And uh, sure enough, you know, uh, there was a great big white light that appeared in the room and kind of engulfed the entire room and white light um, for what seemed to be maybe like two minutes almost. And even as I closed my eyes, that white light was still very, very powerful, Keith. Uh, do you think perhaps that was maybe... Um, people from uh, above, or maybe uh, was that a paranormal experience? Well, it was obviously paranormal. Paranormal being, uh, it was kind of normal, right? Subnormal, but yeah. Did you see, I've got to ask, I know you saw the bright white light. Did you see any, even a hint of a figure inside it? No, just pure whiteness. But I, but I, you know, I closed my eyes, so I don't know. Yeah, okay. Because there's a couple of, I mean, do I feel it was a visitation? Absolutely. In all odds, do you remember how big the core of the, the basic light itself was? I, or could you even tell? I couldn't tell. It was like the whole room just turned white, like if I was in a medical lab almost. Because everything was just pitch. It was like a powerful white um, fluorescent light that was almost, it just surrounded everything. The odds are you were dealing with an Angelus. Interesting, interesting. Angelus are what people actually refer to as angels, and they yeah. are humanoid in appearance, and they are winged. That's pretty crazy. You know, but, you know, in all likelihood, because of when you're talking about that kind of light ex of light exposure, yeah, you know, okay, because of that amount, that's why I said you're likely looking at the Angelus. The Xerzix don't give off that much white light. You know, they are a light source in and of themselves. Yeah, you that's know, and pretty crazy stuff that happened. Look up what the other one is. This is why I write it down. I can't remember everything I'm trying that I'm dealing with. Understood, but I'm documented as I go along. I'm glad you have an answer for me, though, because you know I've been wondering for so long. Well, what what the hell was that? You know, the other possibility is it could have been a, vor a verosic, which is literally an orb. That's what it literally looks like. It's a pretty powerful orb, then. Orbs, by their nature. Okay, give off light, but that's why I said with the intensity of and the amount of yeah, light you're it, talking, about. it was intense, like really intense. Yeah, almost like a almost like a blinding. Blinding, light. That, yeah, that's why I closed my eyes. It was just too damn, too damn powerful, Keith. And that is why I said it is light. It was likely an Angelus. Oof. Now think of that for just half a second. If people, if the Angelus, given that that would have only been one. Picture what would happen if you took even a hundred Angelus and put them in the same vicinity. How much would people be able to see and function? You know, if you can produce that much white light, mm -hmm. 
you know, that kind of blinding white light, and bearing in mind that humans rely on their eyesight more often than not. You know, you take even a hundred of these guys, you can cripple a city in a real hurry. Yeah, I was going to say, imagine if it was a multiple, um, these beings all sort of, you know, all came together in a group. Yeah, that would be pretty dangerous for sure. Well, it caused all kinds of havoc, that's for sure. Yeah, Yeah, it shut the city down. Well, this is why when people start talking about, oh, we're afraid of an alien invasion, don't even bother. Never mind the fact that it's against their protocols. We deal with the reality that if if they were to actually, I talked to the to the war council at one point about that little rumor that was going along, and they laid out exactly how they do it if they were actually planning on invading. They wouldn't come down and play havoc with the government. It's just a waste of time. It's already scrambled. They don't even do anything to it, right? But like they said, all they do would be send send a a quantum field um, EMP pulse through the entirety of the planet. Not only would they wipe out every electronic that was operational, but they would knock out every component that hadn't even been installed, but it had simply been built. They'd wipe that whole load of it out as well. Then they would come into, that would be from the other side of Mars. Then they would come into the orbit of the moon, and they would start knocking the satellites, which I think we've got something like 3,600 or more. I'm probably way off on the number. And they'd start knocking them out of orbit. Then... They can make landfall. Now, how much fighting do you really think humans are going to do if you if you completely decimate the electronics? Probably not very much. And uh, with their technology, I don't think we have enough um, sort of firepower at all to even stop these uh, beings. Well, regarding firepower, if you take a look at the main gun on their on their flagship, on the consortium flagship, give you an idea of the size of the amount of firepower you're talking about. The main the main barrel, you know, the Titanic. Sure. Okay, take the Titanic, turn it broadside, shove it inside the barrel of their of their main gun, and they've still got room to maneuver. Yeah, so it's um they have a pretty large gun rather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you take that and of course I love like I like a lot of the science fiction shows. You know, they they come up with some interesting ideas which are great, like for instance with Independence Day, you know, setting a virus up. But you got to keep in mind, setting a virus on taking a human, taking a Terran computer, state-of-the-art, and attaching it to an off-world computer system, you know, bear in mind, we use binary. They use quantum magnetics. Okay. It's kind of like taking an abacus and trying to plug it into an, into a, into an Apple, you know, into a modern Apple or a modern IBM. Yeah, that's not going to work. Look, yeah. Yeah, that's another flaw in that movie I thought was rather silly the very first time I saw it. And it's funny you, you bring up Independence Day. You know, the guy that sort of blew up the, the big mothership at the end was from, you know, the Imperial Valley, which is kind of where I'm at now. This is the Imperial Valley. Oh, okay. That's pretty accurate. You know, a drunk sort of crop duster. Um, There's plenty out here that, that do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff there. That's a pretty accurate movie. Well, not everything, but I mean that that scene was pretty accurate. But yes, um, but going back to what you're saying, a a computer virus um working on a alien ship, yeah, that that's come on, that that's um, that's just poor writing there, Keith. Well, in all fairness, they did a good job in in much of it, right? Like, for instance, did they get the did they get the the race in like a race decent? The answer is yes. 
Yeah, it seemed pretty good. I like that. Yeah, when they did the race in the in the actual um, in what they called Area Fifty One, mm-hmm. the first time I saw it, I looked at it and went, "Well, they got the right idea and they got the wrong race." Is there yeah. a race? Uh, is there a race like that? Absolutely, and they are very telepathic. Problem is that they operate at such a high cyclic rate that they will fr- flash fry the the corpus callosum and pretty much the entirety of the brain of the neural net on the on the human brain. There's just too much energy there going through it for most people to compensate for. And uh, Keith, you know, we referenced a few movies here. So does that mean you are like a movie buff? God, no. I don't even go to I've, – I've seen a number of them over the years, but I do not go – you know, I don't go to the movie theater. I don't leave the house much. Yes, yeah, you know, so you're kind of into movies a little bit. I I do watch certain ones. Like I did watch um, – the ones I've watched, like Independence Day, right? Was nicely done. I liked the the show. I'm trying to think if there was actually a racer that was any functional use. Arrival, absolutely. Yeah, they got the in the race absolutely bang on the money. Okay, you remember the the septa the septopods? I do. Yes. Those are Udina. They are absolutely the right. They got including the language. Yeah, that was from uh, 2016, I believe. Arrival. It was called Arrival. Yes, I'll take your word for the 2016 thing. Yeah, I believe it was. Um, yeah, that, that was with the, um, just that ship that would show up, right? At first. Yeah, the the HM ship. I recall, yeah. Yeah. There was that. And of course, mankind did the logical thing. Well, we're going to shoot them down. Yes. Really? (laughs) But shoot first and ask if they're friendly after the fact. There's an idea. That's kind of every movie though, right? Keith, we just shoot at them first. Well, if you look at the way people are, you know, people have asked me, what about this issue of why don't they show themselves in, you know, in public? Yeah. Well, I look at it really simple. Now, take a look at just some of the of the communities that are just simply a different skin color and look at how much panic and how much abuse people go through because their skin's a little different. Picture what happens if you get somebody like an Udina showing up. Yeah, that'd be too okay. wild. Or you take a look at the Thrasazians, which are your seven and a half to eight and a half foot reptilians. Now, somebody that tall makes people edgy anyway. Okay. But picture what happens if you take somebody that tall that is not only armored, as in they grow their own armor, okay, and they're also armed. You know, this is just going to make people edgy. It's going to make people very uncomfortable. Yeah. For me, I mean, I just look at it going, it's just somebody else. Right. You know, but I am not what we call a good example of a normal reaction. I hear you. I'm, I'm the same way. I would probably think uh, slightly different from most uh, people that would encounter something like this. And uh, Keith, you know, all these years we hear of all these alien races and, we're, you know, we're going over them. And, you know, most, I wouldn't say most people, but, you know, some of the other people uh, that think slightly different than us, they say these are demonic in nature. Um, what do you yeah. make of that, Keith? Well, am I supposed to laugh now or later? Um, <laughs> right. Sorry. Anybody, the, the reality is that demons are real. Okay. Are they sent by somebody? I just, oh, I'm going to ignore that. I'm not home. Don't worry about that. That's just my phone. That's okay. Um, you know, are they sent by some higher power to punish Earth or to punish people? No. But true demons are a pain in the neck, and they do thrive on fear. Now, you remember I was mentioning there is a race that actually feeds on fear? Yes, they love that. The demon do. You know, and do they do some pretty pretty annoying things? Absolutely. 
But the funny part about it is when people call on, you know, call on whatever they call God and whatever they call angels to help protect them, what people don't realize is the Angelus and the Daemon are at odds with each other. Hmm. Okay. Which is why they come down. It's not because of, it's not necessarily because somebody says, go and deal with it. It's because they're watching anyway. And you're going, help me, please help me. Okay. And down they go. This is why you get the injury and why you get the, the Anjola stepping in. Uh. But are demons real? Absolutely. Do they come from, you know, do they have a different way of looking at life? You bet. And they absolutely gain more power by attrition. The way they look at it, they want to get if they want to get promoted in their ranks, kill the guy above you. That seems to work everywhere else. So, I, I guess, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, Keith, um, you're not religious, are you? That's kind of an interesting question. Baptized Roman Catholic, oh. raised Protestant, became ag- agnostic, meaning I gave up on organized religion. Right. Then turned around and became an ordained minister. Yeah, well, that's a pretty uh, strange turn of events, no doubt. So, do I believe in what I call God? Absolutely. Sure. Do I believe him as uh, that he is the top of the totem pole? Not a prayer. Now that's interesting. Of course, I had a conversation with him one day, quite quite directly with him and with who I call Esau, who you would know as Mother Earth or Gaia, Gaia. or Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. Had a conversation with the two of them, and they literally told me that I had a job to do that I wasn't doing. And I looked at them and went, "Yeah." And they said, "Well, this is what we expect." And we went. Well, yeah, but here's the way this works. I'm done with the with the going around in circles on this, so I will take care of my two kids because yes, sir, I can directly bring them into the world. I will take care of them. The rest of this job you want me to do about about passing on the message that working together we can make this a better world for most people. I says you can take that job and do with it what you will. And he and they said you know he looks at me and goes, well, that's not what we expect. I says no, but unless I get somebody in my life that I can look forward to spending my life with, the rest of my life with. Um, I'm done playing this game. Right. Well, that's not what we expect. We we expect you to go and do this. And I looked at him and he says, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you not come right out and tell us that you were giving us free freedom of will, free will, freedom of choice, irrevocable even by you? And he goes, yeah. I says, well, you should have thought that through. Because... You've given me, I know that's not what you expect, but until this happens, I'm not doing this. Yeah, you're not going to comply. You know, because you can expect what you will, which does sort of explain my, my, shall we say, indifference to what my boss has to say about roles. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. I kid you not, three days after I had that conversation, yeah. right, I reached a point where I was just not looking for a partner anymore. I was done. A lot of All people I reached into that. was gold diggers and idiots. A, l- a lot of people reached that conclusion as well, you know, and, you know, they go on their entire, they go their entire lives, you know, just, um, just ruling that off or ruling it out, actually. The whole, well, I, you know, I'm going to find someone or not. I had a lot of annoyances with it. Three days later, I had one show up in my lap, right? And they, they got introduced to me and it looked like it was going to go someplace. So I looked at it as so I told them. Right. I says, okay, let's get something straight. Before we let anything happen, there's two things that you must be totally aware of. Number one, I'm not moving. Period. I'm not moving from where I am. And number two, I've got a, I've got a six, a 15 year old son with mild CP. And if he never leaves the house, that's the way it is. Well, it took her about 30 seconds and she goes, I can work with it. So, you know, we've been together now for just over a year. Okay. Very good. Very good. And. 
you know, it's just a question of waiting until things get organized enough to bring her up here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you did find someone. You know, most people go their entire lives without finding anyone. So it's good good for you to have this sort of experience all over again. Oh, yeah. Like when we got divorced, we we made it clear to, to ourselves that we were not writing marriage off. We were just ending that marriage. Yeah. You know, but the funny part was that happened. And about six months later, after a lot of prodding from a lot of people that were listening to my show on, on Spaced Out, Ooh. I finally started recording the journey. I see. I see. Um, and by the, it's here we are. By the way, um, your ex-wife, um, w- was she very, you know, skeptical of the claims you were making? Or did she experience <laughs> anything uh, herself? Well, let me put it this way. I woke up one morning. Now, thank thank heaven she was actually a very light sleeper. Okay. And I do not know if she recalls this. Hey, we just don't talk about that. But she woke up one morning. I had a gash from the center of my forehead to my to my to the right temple. Ooh. A parallel one from the bridge from the base of my nose all the way across to to the ear, and a third one absolutely parallel that ran right from the center of the chin all the way to back to the earlobe. Right. My pillow was covered in blood, and she looks at me. She gets up in the morning, and she goes, I don't even want to know what you were fighting last night. Jeez. Yeah, that's um, it's very unusual to wake up like that, for sure. I mean, I had a girlfriend that watched me get dropped from the ceiling. <laughs> that must have freaked her out. Well, it was. It, it took her for a bit of a loop. And fortunately, before anybody comes to that brilliant idea, that was years after I got divorced. so so that didn't work out very well after her seeing you fall from the sky well it worked out for about a year and a half and then she finally had enough i see you know we've been we had her and i had gone for a drive and we both got taken the same day during broad daylight jesus during broad daylight broad daylight wow yeah you don't hear too many stories about it happening during the day very rarely well that's that's the thing and this is why i tell people my life is more science fiction than reality i like your life keith you know the funny thing is with the with the novel i'm writing i actually include a lot of the of the more esoteric side of things in there and like in the early parts that i had that aren't in print yet where I am actually covering things like what a soulmate is, how it comes about, mm-hmm. you know, how a twin flame works, what a soul family is. Ooh, I like that. You know, that, that's all. That'll be in a couple of years at this rate. What if I met someone, Keith, that I feel I was with in a past life? What, what do you what do you say that's, that's ma- probable? Probable, okay. Um, past lives, understand, the way a past life works is this. Basically, you know how a car works. Sure. Like you drive a car around for X number of years and it dies. Right. And it peters out. You get out of the car. You may walk around for a bit until you find a new car. Right. But when you get the new car, you don't forget what you did in the old car. Right. Right. With a path, with a, with the, with reincarnation, basically what happens is your physical body dies. Average turnaround time is 70 years, is 70 Terran years. Right. Where you turn around and you talk to a bunch of other spirits, you organize things, and then you pick a new body to come into. Right. Usually it's about 70 years later on the other side of the of the world. It cuts down on backlash. But I've been fortunate enough to run into, into many people I've grabbed that I've, that I've known in past lives. But I always let them identify me first. Mm. Like I won't come out and volunteer, much like I won't tell somebody, oh, so and so is hanging around you. 
I will not tell people that I've met them before, right, or that I that I met them from a past life. I actually met a former girlfriend of mine. Um, bear in mind, she was my girlfriend in night in eighteen twenty eight. Wow. Right. And she recognized me before I recognized her, and she approached me about it. Well, we hit it off so well, she introduced me to her current husband, right? Mm-hmm. And her current husband was the one that every time I went up that end, he was the one that made certain that I got picked up for at least one meal and taken out to their place to have dinner, you know, while I was up that end. Well, at least he was nice to you. Oh, he was. Well, his his wife, <laughs> his wife asked him, he says, and she goes, you don't seem to have a problem with him. And and the the husband goes, well, okay, he's your ex-boyfriend from 200 years ago. Jeez, I know, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a long time ago. So I'm sure he's fine with it. Yeah, he was he was quite quite content with it. You know, I ran into people that I knew on Atlantis. I've run into people I knew too. I've run into a lot of people I knew from 2000 years ago. Right. Ran into one I knew from the Great Flood. You know, and yeah, they, I mean, we know the Great Flood in the Bible happened. This mm-hmm. has been scientifically proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. They found they found the Ark and up you, at the top of Mount Ararat. And you experienced that, Keith, yourself in a past life. In a past life, I was there. You were there. Oh yeah, I remember that one all too well. That's pretty wild. You know, I don't think I've ever heard anyone tell me that they were actually there during the biblical flood. I was there during the biblical flood. I was there during the Exodus from Egypt. I was there when Pompeii collapsed and when Manoa got swept away. Had a real profitable time the last time I saw a plague like this go through the through the world. Right. You know, I remember I lived through the through the through the Black Death. That was profitable beyond belief for me. Of course, I was a coroner that was immune. Yeah, so that must have been um yeah quite lucrative gig for you at the time. Oh, it was the one of the ghosts that I've got living in my house right now. I spent a lifetime with him during the bubonic plague and a lifetime with him. I think it would have been in the 1600s. I'd have to go back and check and take a look to to get the day of the year right. Yeah. Right. Sure. But I spent a, a lifetime with him as well at that point. But during the Black Plague, we, um, both of us were coroners. You know, we, we, so, and there were four of us in the city at the time. But it was really, really slim pickings for the longest time. So there was a lot of, we didn't get along to start with. But when the plague hit, all of a sudden people were just dying so fast we couldn't help it. <laughs> right. Like, yes. We, we just couldn't keep up with it. Right. And so we ended up sitting in the, in the inn one day and it just so happened everybody else was hacking and coughing and what have you. Both of us were immune. So it really didn't matter. We're sitting there and he asked me, he goes, he says, how's business? And I says, people are just dying to come to work, come to my place. He said, but I keep, and I said, I, but I keep having troubles because my workers keep keeling over on me. Right. So, I mean, we took to going down the street together, pushing our cart. Right. And, you know, so we, we ended up becoming very close because we were no longer in competition. It's just there was so many of them. Yeah. But this is why, because when it happened, mm-hmm. we found out about two months ahead of time that there was a, there was a city about 150 miles up the, up the way from us, right? That had got hit by the Black Plague and we knew it was going to come. So we started building coffins, right? Trying to get ahead of the game. Sure. We couldn't get ahead of the game. The people, when they, when the plague hit, they died so fast. We just did not have a, enough coffins to bury them. Net result, we ended up with the mass graves because you got to remember on top of that many people dead, 
Right. You've got the rats that come in because of it and the carrion eaters. Yeah. Right. And all the extra things that go along with it. But for me, that was the second time I went through that. So, of course, when this one hit, it's like, I've been here, done that. Yeah, no big deal. Well, 40,000 years ago, there were 10 billion people on the planet, okay, that died overnight. That wasn't by a disease, by the way. That was by a miscalculation. Interesting. And, um, Keith, another thing I wanted to ask you was, I know you have this sort of insight from the past, um, but what about future events? Uh, maybe, let's say, the destruction of Earth. Um, how do you think Earth will cease to exist, Keith, if you would, if you could take a wild guess? Well, rough gauge, rough gauge, and I have to take the estimation from a friend of mine that calculated it, is in about 5 billion years, the sun will swallow the Earth. Right, that's what they say. And I'm, I'm sure civilization will exist at that time, and we'll be faced with the question, do we go down with the ship, or do we make our way to the stars? We'll be on the stars way before then. Mankind's already on the other planets. That's what I hear. Mankind is already on the moon, on Mars, on EO, and on Titan. And they're in the process of, of fine-tuning the technology to create something that is absolutely hilarious from my standpoint because they're, they're making one critical mistake with it. But they're getting set to build a, to build, a, to move something into, to move an asteroid into position to build an actual star to build an actual uh, starship manufacturing plant because it will be easier to launch from an asteroid than to launch it from Earth. Understood. That's another sci-fi movie in the, in the works right there. It is. You know, I mean, especially when you think of the other thing, that, and people are people keep saying, you know, they call it the dark side of the moon. Well, you know, for being dark, it's awfully flaming bright. Yeah, it's pretty bright. <laughs> yeah. It's really bright. Lots of people have made claims that there are large civilizations on the moon, not just humans, but aliens. Have I been there? Have I seen them yet? You've it's seen not it, technically yes. technically large civilizations. There's an entire way station over there. There's a complete trading post. I mean, if you want to liken it to something you've seen in a science fiction movie, um, take a look at the, the bar scene with uh, Lando Calrissian in Star Wars. Okay. Yeah, where you've got a trading post where people are coming right. and going. There's a lot of trade going on. People stop there long enough to pick up supplies, and then off they go again. But it is not just humans. Interesting. You know, you, you see Jeff Bezos, you see Elon Musk, you see uh, other billionaires out there wanting to do the whole space tourism thing. Um, your thoughts and opinions on that, Keith? Well, they talk about colonizing Mars. Yes. Which is a cute thought. You know, when they first came out about five years ago, I guess now, and said, oh, we've got a, ro a rover landed on Mars. And my immediate reaction was, well, that would have been news back in the 70s when you did it. But now they're talking about colonizing Mars, but understanding that Mars is already occupied. I think they call that invasion in, in common vernacular. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah, you know, um, it'd be kind of like trying to colonize Australia. Right. I'm with you on that for sure, too. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, if you had the money, um, Keith, would, would you go on one of these trips? Probably not. Why would you want to, though? You already get a free ride. Well, that would be the first issue. Right. Second of all, I don't trust people enough to want to trust their technology. Y yeah, exactly. You know, I already hate flying on planes. And, well, you know, there's no really margin for mistake there when you're flying. You know, you could, that, you could go down easy on a plane. Never know. I'm, I'm lucky. So far, my stress has not caused problems on the plane, just on the ground. Yeah, just on the ground. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I don't think I'm ever going to fly again, uh, Keith. I think that's in the yeah. past. Well, you know, I will if I have to. And if they ever open the borders up and get get it through their head that, you know, people say, you know, the, the, the biggest claim that's being made right now with COVID is that natural immunity won't work. Well, well, it's worked for millions of years. I mean, why not now? It's working for me, Keith. I mean, I'm a fine example. I mean, I didn't do a damn thing. I just drank water and I got better. I didn't do anything different. I, I couldn't tell you if I've had it. I can tell you that my temperature has a tendency of spiking off the charts. You know, like I'll go from absolutely relaxed to a temperature where I've got sweat pouring off my off my forehead and, you know, soaking my shirt, which they say is a is a sign. But, I mean, that's been going on for, you know, 50 years. And you're fine. So, yeah, you know, you're good. I, I couldn't tell you, and I'm not about to go and get tested. Yeah. You know, if it becomes legally mandatory where I have to deal with it, I will. I've got about as much concern over it as I do pretty much everything else. I don't think that's going to kill you either if you do get vaccinated, Keith. No, but I mean, you know, realistically, they said that the that the flu and the vaccine for the flu was necessary, right? And I've never had a vaccine for a flu, and I haven't had a cold in over twenty five years. I get the flu, every, uh, the flu. I get the flu every now and then, but yes, I'm with you on the whole um, vaccine, the flu vaccine. I'm not with that either. You know, for me, it's a it's a simple issue. And don't get me wrong. People have this brilliant idea that I'm against it and I'm not against it. I've told my son himself, if he decides he wants it, we'll arrange for you to go and get it. It's a question of I've already gone the lab rat route in my eyes. And this is just for me. Yes, exactly. Just for you. And that's what we're trying to tell everyone out there, um, you know, that are experiencing maybe a sickness or an illness. Don't uh, look at us. You know, we have very different genetic makeup, both Keith and myself. You know, we're kind of subhuman, inhuman in a way. Well, the doctors have never figured out how to compensate for my healing rate. You know, I had a, fa a near-fatal heart attack in 2013. I went in there, it was a really nice shade of gray, about the same color as my hair. Which is, by the way, when you're talking skin color, that's not a good color. You know, but I, walk, I went in there in an ambulance, and I didn't mind the doctor when he goes, you know, do you know what's going on? You know, you go in there gray, they're usually a little concerned. So I looked at him and he says, yeah, I'm in the middle of a massive coronary. Literally that calm. Well, he comes back to me five hours later. He goes, well, Mr. Anders, we confirmed you had a major coronary. <laughs> I looked at him and he says, you took five hours to figure that out? I told <laughs> you that funny. when I got here. Right. And he, and that's when he made the mistake. He looks at me and he goes, well, you couldn't have possibly known. And my thought was, you asked me what was going on. I told you what was going on. You confirmed what was going on. Now you tell me I couldn't know. I know. That's great. So I just looked at him and I said, I'm going home. Yeah, you wasted your time. A major, like I was in the hospital with a major heart attack and I was out of the hospital in less than 24 hours. When I had my stroke back in 218, I went in there. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. Right. Went in there on the 28th of, of December of 2018. On the 30th of December, I'm trying to get out of bed. Now, clearly I wasn't talking clear, talking right at that point. Sure, sure. Right. But the nurse looks at me and she goes, what are you doing? She says, I'm going for a walk. I'm bored. <laughs> yeah, I've been laying still for, you know, for 36 hours. And she goes, you do realize you came in here with a pretty serious stroke. And looked at her and says, your point? Well, I was out on a day pass for New Year's Eve. I did go back into the hospital on New Year's Day and I was there until the 6th. Right. And the only thing I've got left as a side effect of it is my left arm. I can't write as well with my left hand as I used to. I used to write fluently with my left hand. I'll be a mirror image, but 
I used to write fluently with it. Yes. So some of some of the things did hinder you from the stroke. Oh, it did. It slowed down my 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 la- my fine motor skill in my left arm. I see. Okay. Right. But the poor doctor. Two months after I had the stroke, I went in to get my eyes tested. Now you know how we're told that your eyes get worse as you get older. Yes. Did you realize that is programmed? I can actually tell you how to beat it. See, like you can see how far I'm holding my glasses from my face right now. Yes, sir. Okay. When I back until 2007, if I held my glasses right there, I could not you physically could, see my glasses. You couldn't see them. Okay. Yeah, you're not that far away for those that are just listening. Well, obviously, you're only going to be listening to this. But, yes, it, you're holding your glasses not too far away. Yeah, like I've got my elbow crook. They might be a foot and a half away from me. Yeah, but a foot. Yeah, I could get a ruler and find out. As a matter of fact, I got a ruler right here. One of the things about sitting in an office. That's a good plus there. There you go. That's just a standard ruler. Now, that's all I'm looking at. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, so we're looking at a foot, maybe a foot, about a foot and a half, I guess. Just about a foot, a little over a foot. Yeah, and I could not physically see my my glasses. I was minus six eyesight in the one eye and minus five and three quarters in the other. Today, I've got 20-20 eyesight for reading without an operation, without medication. Right, I just figured out how to bypass it. But I also figured out how to explain why people's eyes collapse. Which, because when I went in for the test, the doctor, he did my eye test. I was up for my two-year. I still wear glasses to drive, right? And the doctor just looks at me and goes, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? He says, you just had a serious stroke and you're diagnosed type 2 diabetes. Why are your eyes improving? I says, I'm tired of being blind. <laughs> not he goes, the answer well, you wanted. Not, that doesn't explain it. I says, well, then you figure it out. Yeah, you're the doctor. You know, I, I just, the, I do, I do pity the doctor. You know, I had a, I had a client come to me one day that the doctors had given up on and they brought her to me. And even she, by her admission, she only came to me because her mom figured I could help. She came to me in a wheelchair and I told her, I worked on it for an hour, hour and a half. And I said, okay, stand up. And she goes, I can't stand up. I says, how about if we don't discuss what you can't do and you just stand up? If your legs work great, you're up. And if they don't, you're back in the wheelchair. Well, she stood up. Two days later, two or three days later, because I, I, I worked on her a couple more times, we had her up and walking. Yeah. She never went back to the wheelchair. Never. And I ran into her about a year later. She wasn't even on a cane. That was when she told me that when she got brought to me, that the doctors that the doctors had had her in a wheelchair, confined to the wheelchair for two, for three and a half years. Now, that's shocking. You think it was shocking for you? You should have tried it from her standpoint. I know, right? Now she got up and started jogging. I mean, there was a lady that I, I was down seeing my brother in the in the extended care unit before he passed. Mm-hmm. There was a lady, she was looking really under the weather, and I took a look at her, and I said, gee, you're rough, aren't you? She goes, she was in her 90s, I suspect. And she goes, yeah, well, the doctor said I'll be dead in two weeks. I said, really? I says, I know this is going to sound weird. I'm not a doctor. I don't want to lay a hand on you, but... Are you capable of kicking your leg free so I can take a look at the bottom of your left foot? She goes, yeah, why? I said, I'm not going to touch it. I just want to check one little detail. And she goes, well, it's odd, but okay. So I never went near her bed, right? And she kicks her leg, her leg out from underneath the mat, underneath the blanket. I looked at the bottom of her, la- of her left foot, and I went, nope, you won't be dead in two weeks. And she goes, how can you tell that? I said, well, there's no expiry date. <laughs> well, <Yes. laughs> I was down there a week later, right? And ran into her, and she's coming up the, up the walkway with the doctors, and they're babbling back and forth. What the heck happened? 
And she stops cold in her tracks and she looks at me and she points, she's talking to the doctor. She goes, that's the guy that told me I wasn't going to die. Right. I mean, to me, this is just plain normal. Yeah. But no, the, the reality of it is, you know, when we look at the issue of when it's, when is earth going to die in about 5 billion years, roughly. Give or which take. realistically won't matter a lot to mankind at that. Probably not. I just wish I, I could be here for the ride. I'd like to see that happen, in a way. As dark as that may sound, I would still like to sort of, you know, be here when all that goes down. Well, I recommend that you be here as in somewhere in the vicinity, but watch from off-planet. Right. I want, I want to view that, but from somewhere far away, obviously. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to experience. Been there, done that. Not necessarily the most enjoyable idea. I always had that strange sort of um, thought in my head that seeing maybe a planet go to waste would be somewhat beautiful, but here you say an explosion of color would not be the best thing for you. Well, an explosion, watching the explosion of color is great. I was referring to don't stand on the planet when it does that. Yes, yes, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, don't, I would not want to be uh, here when that happens, but from a distance, you know, I would like to see a light show, no doubt. Oh yeah, and it is phenomenal. The the photo the photoreactive reaction is absolutely incredible. That was really poor English. That's okay. But you know, I mean, I find the same the same enjoyment watching somebody pass away, and I know that sounds morbid, but I've seen people get up out of their bodies. Ah, okay. And it is phenomenal to watch it. You've you seen, uh, yeah, you've seen the soul leave the body, and you've seen the soul, I guess, in a rather in a moment of clarity, I guess, for some, as soon as they get out. I, I've seen the I've seen the soul leave the body. I've seen the soul enter the body. You know, I mean, the things I've seen, it, it sounds like science fiction. And I can list off a whole pile of reasons why there is no reason to believe me. Because Lord knows I've gone through the whole array of them, at least as far as I can. Yeah, you've been crucified. Literally, yes. I hear you. Yes, a lot of this is, is too much for most folks to cope with. Oh, yeah. This is one of the reasons why the the Ilderbachian Chronicles that I'm writing yes. is written under the venue of, of science fiction, science fantasy. Okay. Now, granted, the, the last four books in the entire Chronicle, which will be 9, 10, 11, and 12, right, are written as they are pure extrapolation because they haven't happened. Quite frankly, Birth of the Wolfpack is post-apocalyptic. Nice, okay. <laughs> which thankfully has not happened yet. Yes. Right. So we just have to work with that. But no, some of what I've seen, it sounds absolutely bizarre. You know, can I prove it? Not a snowball's prayer. But like I said at the beginning of the show, the people that believe don't require proof. And the ones that don't believe, you may not be able to find proof. That's right. You know, lots of people out there will stumble upon this and say, well, these are two crazy people talking. But of course, there's a another big majority out there, the silent majority. Lots of individuals out there know exactly the things that we talk about are, you know, are very truthful in nature. These experiences are things that have occurred to uh, people and have been happening to people since the dawn of time, Andrew, Mr. Andrews. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They have, in all fairness. Um yeah, actually, since the dawn of time actually works. Of course, understanding my memories, when I talk about my past lives, okay, my memories, if, if you, you know what the Big Bang is. Yes, sir. Okay. I refer to the Big Bang as a flip because of the way I've seen it transi transition. Now, I remember multiple flips back, um, previous renditions of, of what you would call reality. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And you would not believe how far back that goes. And again, it sounds like science fiction. I know this. Okay. And there's people that it's, it's funny because many people have, have actually brought to my attention, oh, you're talking about all this stuff to try and sell your books. And we're like, no, the information, we're not doing it to actually enhance the books. We're actually literally rely relaying information that we remember in the books. Mr. Andrews, were you shown this by those from above, the Big Bang Theory? Did they take you back in time to experience this thing for yourself? You cannot travel back in time. So the answer is no. I just simply remember being there. You just remember being there. Okay. So you have recollection of the start of humanity, in other words. I do so. And rest assured... That being said, I also have recollection of what people have learned to call heaven and hell. And I will tell you, the number of people that are afraid of dying, they just don't know the party they're heading for. It is a riot in hell. It's a good time down there. In all fairness, it really is, but only once you figure it out. But is it better to be in hell or in heaven? I don't know. Do you like party or would you like to be bored? I kind of want to be in hell then if it's fun. Well, think of it this way. You're told in heaven... You basically, it's all floppy. They're playing harp music, you know, and you sit there and you get along and everybody's tickety-boo, which is right. It is. Okay. Okay. And heaven does exist. Absolutely. I don't deny that at all. So heaven is kind of cool, but it's kind of boring. In my opinion, yeah. But I mean, they do have much more comfortable chairs. Okay, okay. And and hell, what's what's hell like then? Hell is. There is a lot of torture. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pain down there. My personal opinion is that the hot tubs are way too hot. You know, the river sticks, great place to hang around if you like that thing, but I personally find it too hot. Of course, I find Terran hot tubs too hot. Right. <laughs> you know. what, what kind of music is being played in hell, by the way? Uh, most of it is kind of along the lines of, you know, screaming and, and yelling and crying. Oh, okay. You know, well, yeah. It's not like they have a, a heavy metal rock band down there. I thought they would have, like, some jazz playing or something cool like that. No, that's heaven. So heaven, they have jazz music playing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so hell has much more of like a death metal sort of um, thing going on. Yeah. And see, it was funny. In in this lifetime, we found out that that death metal that you talk about. Yes, sir. Is literally something we cannot be anywhere near. Hmm. We found that out the hard way by walking in front of a speaker when somebody was playing death metal. I at see. a live concert. Our heart stopped. Just up and quit. It's like, okay, this is just not the right stuff. I'm just not going around that music. It's not for <laughs> everyone. It's not for everyone. Um, but yes, um, hell, not so bad if you like fun. Well, do understand something. I love the way a friend of mine years ago, he was actually a, a true archaeologist. And he looked at me and he goes, you know, I think mankind's got this all backwards about the heaven and hell thing. I says, what do you mean? He goes, well, we're told that if you're really nice, you go to heaven. If you're really mean, you go to hell. He says, I think you've got it all backwards. I said, care to explain? He goes, well, he says, if you're really, if you're really bad, he says, I suspect you actually go to heaven. Right. I said, why? He says, because you're being bad all your life. You're hurting people, et cetera, et cetera. So when you get over to heaven, they go, okay, now go up, sit down, be quiet and be nice. And you're stuck that way. You're right? stuck that way. You can't even, um, you can't make fun of anybody. You can't joke around. That's right. You just, you sit there, you, you can joke around, but it's got to be nice. Oh, jokes. okay, okay. Right? You know, you can play music, but it's got to be peaceful, relaxing music. Mm. What many people in today's world call elevated music. That's right, yes. Right. But the nice people, the, the really, really nice people, the nicer you are, the better your position when you get to hell. Right. He says, so if you're, if you're basically nice, you'll go to hell. If you're really, really, really nice, 
you get one of those neat positions where you get to torture people. Wow. You go down and have the biggest party available. Damn. Now, there is more to it than that. Okay, but the reality of it is, if they, this is what he said. He says, I think you got it all backwards. Well, of course, by that point, we'd already been down there a number of times. So we just joke about it going, God doesn't want us and Satan's afraid we'll take over. That's right. I, I, I kind of feel that way. Yeah, I'm kind of um, wondering which side wants me uh, the most. You know, I would, uh, I, I like both sides very much. You know, I'm kind of in a sort of a crossroads here. You know, I'm not quite sure if I, if I like heaven more, if I like hell more. I'm well, sure. I will tell you this. Yes, sir. The key to it, and these are the only three laws I, that I follow. Be true to yourself first. Do unto others as you desire them to do unto you. And energy out, energy in. Now, if you look at any of the commandments or the guidelines from any of the spiritual branches or any of the, of the, you know, the 12 step programs, any one of them, okay, compare them to those three laws. And I do believe you'll find that, that whatever guidelines are put there are actually, are, they'll fit inside those three. If you find one that doesn't, absolutely drop me a line and let me know because I'd love to know. Thus far, I've gone through Christianity, Judaism, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Church of Satan, the uh, witches, the witches' Bibles, right, the Cree Nation. I've looked at all of these, right, and even gone and talked to people about the 12-step programs of, of um, NA and AA. Yes, sir. Uh, okay. And all of the stipulations, all the guidelines they have will fit inside those three. Now, I haven't looked at every religion, but in all fairness, you know, every one of them seems to do the same thing. Basically, yes. They teach essentially the same thing. They use different words, right, different labels. But it means the same thing, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you take a look at it. In English, we say chair. In French, you call it chaise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, for those of you that speak French, sorry, I don't. So, <laughs> pronunciation's off. Oops. <laughs> love that yes and um you know keith i've been enjoying our conversation but you know we were here for a good time not a long time and you know i kind of feel like i kept you a little bit long longer than i you know agreed to you know we were only supposed to be on here for maybe less than an hour and now it's been two hours i feel like i got very greedy with our time here my friend and of course i have to reach out to you again and bring you back on the program you know lots of people have been asking about you wanting an update and i said don't worry i'll bring them back on very very soon but you know, this time I'm not going to take as long as I did. It's not going to be years from now where I reach out to you again. It'll be way sooner than that. I promise, Keith. Absolutely. I mean, and this time for me, this time of day works beautifully. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm have to bring you back on this early again. Yeah, because for me, it's simple. During the day, especially on Saturday, I'm basically on my own. I was actually in the middle of writing when you called. Right. Yes, sir. So I don't have a problem with it. Very nice. Okay. Well, I'm glad I, I was able to sort of take you away from the books and, and let you sort of um, talk about these things with us because everyone really appreciates you, Keith. They think you're a tremendous and amazing talent, as do I. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Um, one, one very important factor that, that I would like people to realize is if they've got a question, you look me up on YouTube, drop me a, drop me a line in any one of the contact points below in listed under the videos. And I do my best to get back to people. Very nice. Now that's how you can communicate with Mr. Keith Andrews here. And by the way, once again, I do thank you for being a part of the program. It's been a fun time and we will talk to you again on the other side, my friend. Well, thank you so much. I do appreciate it, Michael. You got it. Take care. You too. Have a good one.
I always enjoy talking to him. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. And of course, as we take it home here tonight and pull this Larry Silverstein style, I do want to thank all of you out there for pressing play. And don't forget, we do have a website, michaeldeacon.com. And don't be afraid if you don't see me on YouTube right away. Eventually you will, but I'm on a little timeout because of quote-unquote hate speech, which is very odd. I guess you can't talk about 9-11. Either way, I appreciate all of you out there for pressing play. And remember, please go to michaeldeacon.com for all updates. Or if you want bonus material, that's patreon.com forward slash michaeldeacon. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. And don't forget, you can take us on the road. Download the podcast rendition of the show on all popular platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, and Spotify. International listeners out there, thank you so much for your support. Canada, Germany, the UK, Australia. Yes. And of course, those of you in Norway and Brazil. It was a fun show. We were here for a good time, not a long time. And we'll return shortly. Whatever it is you do choose to believe, now is the time to adapt. All control has been lost and we are looking into the abyss. Yes, without a rescue party inside, there's nothing more frightening than reality. I hope you're well out there, wherever you may be. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, mahalo.